0: Blog Talk Radio Driving all night, my hand's wet
1: on the wheel It's Talking in Circles
0: There's a the voice in my head that drives my heel. With
1: your host, Clayton Caldwell
0: My baby calling and I need you here
1: And John Harlow And it's
0: a half past four and I'm shifting gear Hello and welcome to Talking in Circles I am Clayton Caldwell with my co-host John Harlow from SpookyMedia.com We're going to break down the 2017 NASCAR Monster Energy All-Star Race. We'll talk about that. Uh, The Open as well. We also have, sounds like, the 2018 Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series schedule will be released sometime this week, and there are significant changes. We'll discuss that as well. Uh, The 43 car Regan Smith drove it this weekend. Will he drive it the rest of the time Eric Amarola is out? If not, who are the candidates for that? And we'll take your phone calls, nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. But the focus in the conversation this week, John, these last two days, really since the All-Star Race ended, has been the All-Star Race. Kyle Busch wins it, wins a million dollars. He goes out and beats Kyle Larson and Jimmy Johnson for second and third. Um, the, fir- the first stage, the first two stages were won by Kyle Larson and Jimmy Johnson won the third stage. Um, you know, Toyota needed to win. Kyle Bush knew to win at Charlotte. He's never won a cup race at Charlotte. Uh, wins a non points cup race at Charlotte now. But uh, they needed to do it. So Kyle Bush wins the all star race. And a race, John, that really um, clean air was a humongous factor. Um, and Bush was able to get a, a good pit stop at the end of that race and was able to win it.
1: Yeah. Bush came out uh, just a hair ahead of Kyle Larson on the final pit stop going into the final segment. I mean, if you think about it, the only passes that were made were on tire strategy. Clint Boyer tried going two greens, two yellows going into the third stage. He was out front, but Johnson passed him one lap in and Johnson led the final 19 laps of the third stage and Bush got by Keselowski, who couldn't take tires because he tried to take the greens and put them on, and once you pick them off, you're done with them. So he had 20-lap old tires on, and he was trying to get by, and Bush passed him on right after the restart going into Turn 1, so there was no passing for the lead unless there was a tire strategy involved. It was the worst race I've seen since the Daytona, or I'm sorry, the Indianapolis debacle on tires way back in the day.
0: Listen, I mean, it was, I said this, and I feel like there was no defending it today. I think when you looked at at it, and we're, I'm a fan of the sport. I try and support the sport. I mean, what I saw Saturday night at Charlotte was rough. Um, you know, like you said, we didn't see many too, pa- too many passes for the lead, even in the open. You know, uh, Clint Boyer won the open. Um, we didn't see too many passes there. In the third stage, the last stage of the open we saw, really the highlight of the night was when, Eric Jones tried to make it three wide with Chase Elliott and Daniel Suarez um going down a front stretch and hit his splitter on, onto the grass and caused a big wreck. Um really that was the only highlight of the night that we saw that was actually passing and Chase Elliott could not get around Daniel Suarez uh at all his life dependent on and I think he really had a faster race car there at that point. Um so it was a tough, t- tough time to pass, no doubt about it. I don't think the day or night had anything to do with it. You know, we could discuss this all week about um, what there what there needs to be done, John. Uh, there's a lot of people who have come out with opinions. You know, I saw, I saw Jeff Burton's article today on NBCSports.com saying that uh, South Boston, you should, or, or a racetrack like that, bring it back to its roots with the All Star race. Um, you know, what do you think, John? There's been a lot of opinion out there about this all-star race what do you think is the best way to go about it
1: i think uh tom jensen hit it on i think the one that tom jensen hit on his uh article on foxsports.com he said there's two radical ways they could change it i'm against one i'm totally for the other um he said make it like i rock cars everybody gets in the same equipment and make it on the driver well we pretty much Even though everybody has their own equipment they build right now, the rule has it, the rule book has it set up where it's basically the same equipment. As Jimmy Johnson said last night after the race, everybody qualifies within thousands of seconds of each other. How are you going to pass when everybody's running the same speed? The one I liked that Tom Jensen put in was if you bring it, you can run it. Keep all the safety rules into effect. But if you want to run a 500 cubic inch engine, go for it. If you want to wet, I mean, um, go for it. If you want to run whatever radiator or brakes or whatever you want to do, go for it. Open up the book. I mean, just put it where the only rules that are in effect are safety rules and weight of the car. Everything else, have at it, boys. If you want to adjust the way the body's shaped and all that stuff, go get them. Make it one race where it is special. Make it one race where it puts everything in the hands of the teams, the crews. But if you get something like that, I can guarantee you somebody's going to pass. You're going to see something different than follow the leader for for 20-lap segments. And the one thing that bothered me is there was no second groove. Everybody hugged yeah. the bottom. You could not get around the top, no matter what you wanted to do. If you were in the outside lane on the restart, you might as well hope you were staying in fifth, let alone second. It just wasn't working. I mean, they did a great job at Texas running the tires and everything to try to get a second groove built in. They've got a second groove built in Kansas. Um, they got to do something. And what's going on right now just isn't cutting it. The rule book is too precise. There's too much in there where they try to make everything equal, which I understand for the um, smaller teams to try to put them on an even, even footing with a Hendrick Motorsports or a Pen- Team Penske. But for the love of God, that was bad.
0: Man, there's a lot you know, to dissect here. I think ultimately my problem is – you know, I agree. I think you look at it and you said the rules are too tight. But let's be realistic here, please. Because, you know, I, and Jeff Burton, like I said, South Boston, great idea. I would love to see them go to South Boston. I would love to see them go to a short track that's not on an Astro schedule. I would love to see it. I think it would be <clears> awesome. But let's be realistic, please, because that's never going to happen. Speedway Motorsports Incorporated, who has the rights to this all-star race, will never give up the rights to that all-star race. Never. Bruton Smith and that team will never give up the rights to that all-star race. So talking about going to a race racetrack, not currently in the SMI platform, is stupid in my opinion. It's useless because we can dream all day. I can dream about, you know, front row motorsports somehow going out and winning uh, four races in a row. It's not going to happen. So the talk about it to me is very unproductive. Let's talk about something we can do. Let's talk about something that is okay to that that will happen because SMI is not giving up that date. And you know, you talk about bringing in the cubic engine rules and all that kind of stuff. Again, I don't think that's going to happen. What Tom Jensen said about the sort of quote-unquote IROC cars is not going to happen. The owners would never allow it. The teams would never allow it. Uh, and again, I think the teams and owners would never allow the other extremes. So we have to find somewhere in the middle. I think NASCAR did a, a pretty good job last night as far as, as effort is concerned, where they tried to get the green softer tires in there to go with the yellow tires, but the green tires weren't very good. They, they weren't that much faster. They fell off fast, way faster than the other tires. And so the advantage wasn't very good. It was to the point where Jimmy Johnson gained two spots, and so they really didn't pick up that much time over a long run. And they didn't. And Goodyear, for sure, did not have a tire test with these green tires. Uh, I think that would have helped them a lot if they had a tire test. They kind of sort of gambled on it, and that might have been the test here. But, man, um, there's a lot of things to go in it. But let's be realistic. Let's. I think opening up the rule book is very, very realistic. I think going to a track like Bristol is very realistic. But I don't think going through South Boston and doing the IROC or the other extreme is all that realistic. I would love, love to see it. But there's so many people who have their hands in the pot right now that it's just not going to happen. And five, ten years ago, NASCAR could have gotten away with that because – there was no owner's union. There was no driver council. Now there's an, there's an RTA and a driver's council. And as soon as they get together, they can easily say, you know what, we decided we're not even going to run anymore. It, and it would, be, it would put a, a hole in this sport. Um, and that's a danger of allowing these teams to, and these drivers to be unionized. So to me, you have to find out somewhere in the middle. The rule book is way too tight. It's way too thick. I agree with you example wholeheartedly. And I think that is what we need to look at is loosening up the rules a little
1: bit. When you do the math of all the stuff that everybody's put together, there isn't enough seating capacity at South Boston to hold an all-star race. And last night's all-star crowd was the best they've had in years. Everybody was hoping to recapture the one hot summer night that they had back 25 years ago when Davey, and Kyle Petty crashed coming across the finish line and Earnhardt t- spun in turn four. You couldn't even get close enough to the leader to spin somebody in turn four. That's where we have the problem. If you remember back in the day, I mean, there were only a few cars that could win. But the engineering didn't play as much of a role. These guys had these cars so engineered that... They know what happens when the smallest dent goes into it. And, I mean, you've seen it before when crew members would lean against a fender when they were happening to the jackman would go from one end to the other and he'd bump into a rear fender to try to get an aerodynamic advantage. It's just crazy. I don't see us. There's no way they're going to a short track for this race. The question is, is this race even viable anymore? That's a good question,
0: John.
1: You've got half the field in the all star race. And look at any other stick and ball sport or any other sport you run into. If you have an all star race with half of your players, you're going to take 13 Red Sox, 13 um, Yankees, 13 Phillies. That's half the team. You're putting half of your league out there. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, get it back to where it's just winners. Get it back to where the rule book is playable instead of everybody's in such a tight box where one thirty thousandth of an inch costs you 35 points in three races from your crew chief. Either keep the rules as tight as they are and have crappy racing, which we've had for the past few years. One of the things that, if you notice... The year before, when they first came out with the Gen 6 car, they had all the horsepower, and they took away the downforce. not as bad as it is now, but they had a bunch of horsepower in it. Then the next year, they put that tapered spacer in, and they took away horsepower. And since the horsepower went away, the racing hasn't been good.
0: I think it's a fair assessment. I think, you know... This is something, too, where I think this sport 15 years ago, 20 years ago, was run differently, no doubt about it. And if we saw what we saw Saturday night, last night at the All-Star Race, and we were getting ready for the 600, there would have been people, there would have been a meeting on Sunday saying, listen, we have to make a change because that's not going to work, obviously. There has to be a change here. We have to do something because the fans obviously did not get their bang for for the buck. Um, you know, what in the world uh, could be done to fix this? I think that 20 years ago we would have been fine. Um, but nowadays I think you look at it and you say that's not going to happen. NASCAR doesn't make moves in the middle of the season. You know, and no doubt about it, in 1998 when we were changing rules, it seemed like every other week owners are griping. The owners are saying, listen, you're costing me money because I just put all this research and development into the way we have it here, and now you're completely changing the front nose of my race car. Now i got to go out and do that. Chevy would complain about Ford getting a new front nose, so Ford ha- or NASCAR would have to give Chevy something off the spoiler and vice versa. So it was a game that was being played, but you know who benefited from that was the fans, because the fans watch a good show every week. So, or Not every week, but the majority of every week. And at least it felt like they were trying. Now we're in a situation where it's like, well, we're not really going to do anything in the middle of the year, so either live with this and we'll, and we'll get it better for 2018. We, we think we know the direction we're going to go for 2018. We think we're going to get it better, but live with the next 20, 20 mile and a half races for the rest of the year, and we'll be better in 2018. To me, John, that's just not good enough.
1: If you remember the way it was, Bill France Jr., if Bill France Jr. was alive today, there would have been a technical bulletin out at midnight last night, or there would have been every crew chief and car owner would have been in the back in the day, the big red truck, and they would have had a powwow right then. Gary Nelson, Bill France Jr., and every car owner crew chief would have been there putting their heads together to try to figure out what the heck's going to happen. And I know it costs the owners money. I know it costs everybody else time effort the crews have put extra work in to change the cars before sunday but i can tell you unless something drastically changes we're going to see another martin truex jr version of the coke 600 on sunday night and i'll turn the i'll turn the race off by seven o'clock because it's just not going to be that good of a race
0: i agree and i think that is where my problem is is we're going to live with this for 600 because you're not going to see any changes. And that's what drives me crazy is we shouldn't have to live with what we just saw Saturday night at Charlotte. Yeah, it might be an isolated incident or you could say, well, we're, well, you know, the tires were different, whatever. But to me, it's not going to get much better. So let's try and figure it out. Let's try and work on something. Where, yeah, these teams might have to be thrown a curveball here. They might have to sit there and go, oh, and grudge about it. But you know what? The fans deserve better than that, and these guys are the best in the business. They will figure it out, um, and if they don't, so so what? It might be better off for the fans if these guys don't have their arms around it entirely. Um, so that's my that's my big gripe today is we're not going to see any major changes. I would be shocked if tomorrow or Tuesday they came out and saying we're making a rule change for six hundred where you have to do this. I would love to see that. I would commend NASCAR to say yes. We need to do that. We're going against the Indianapolis 500, and we're going to get smoked in the, in the ratings. So let's do something, because if what we saw Saturday is any correlation of what we're going to see on Sunday night at the Coca-Cola 600, oh, my gosh, it's going to be a rough one to watch. Four 100-lap stages, um, it's going to be a rough one to watch. You might see four lead changes, and it only is when we restart the race. That's what scares me, um, and I would love to see a difference in that Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero to join the conversation on Talking Circles. No doubt, I don't think I think the fans, John, had a rough night there, but, boy, did anybody have a rougher night at Charlotte Motor Speedway than Dale Earnhardt Jr.? Um, the only other guy I can think of was maybe the guy before who got the the day before, the guy on the golf cart who might have gotten screened at for slowing down qualifying, but, holy Toledo, that 88 car was super, super slow, hit the outside wall, um, just because he's the most popular driver in the sport, John, we're going to be talking about him. But, whew, um, you know, and, and here's the thing, and this is what's scary again, If and this is a problem to, to tie into what we were just talking about. Is there anything they can do to fix this? Um, you know, and that's my biggest problem is when you come off the, the, the truck and your car is slow, it just seems like there's not a whole lot of options, a whole lot of adjustments these teams can do at the racetrack anymore to change the way their cars handle. I think that would be great if you put it back into the crew chief's hands a little bit and said, hey, you know what? We're going to open up the rule books, and let you play around with adjustments and all that kind of stuff. Um, but what were your thoughts on Dale Earnhardt Jr. night? And, and, and the fact that you might not be able to adjust your race car once you get off the truck, John.
1: Well, one of the things, and this is one of the things that Tony Stewart used to complain about most of all. I mean, whenever um, he was coming up early in the days with Joe Gibbs Racing, and if they unloaded, and we 30th on the speed chart, Greg Zipidelli had enough room in the rule book where he could adjust on certain things, and between that first practice and qualifying, Stewart could find half a second. And then when they get out there for Saturday practice, they'd even find more, and then by the time they were running on Sunday, Stewart could go from 25th to win the race, not by staying out, and using pit strategy or something like that, he'd be passing 25 cars on the track to win the race. That doesn't happen anymore. Hadn't happened in a long time. Uh, Dale Jr. said it flat out, and he came on Periscope today to apologize for the performance, that they just missed it. And, you know, they're bringing a different car back for the 600 because he said, this is just junk, They were slow off the truck. They were slow in qualifying. The only thing, the only person who probably had a worse night than him was Matt Kenseth, who probably had—I think he had a lug nut bust the oil pan, and he was leaking oil. So he wound up being out of the race, and it probably saved him a little bit. But he was at least he was competitive before he blew. I mean, before the engine went. Junior just wasn't even there. I mean, Danica looked more competitive in her in the open run. Than Junior did in the all-star race and that's saying something I mean usually Hendrick Motorsports has their stuff together Greg Ives and Junior have worked well together right now they're in a funk and they don't know where the heck they're going and I'm wondering how many guys on the team are saying well Junior's going to be gone at the end of the year I wonder what's going to happen where am I going to be are they going to put new people in are they going to do a new crew chief new team what are they going to do and it's sort of like if you remember when um, Rob Kaufman bailed out of Michael Waltrip Racing. Clint Boyer was in the chase and was junk from the minute Rob Kaufman said, "I'm partnering with Ganassi." Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Listen, I think when you look at the whole season as a the whole season as a whole, um, it definitely needs to pick up, and it is not encouraging that they ran like that. You know, they could have been trying a little bit of something there. At Charlotte, who knows, but it is not encouraging. I don't think it's encouraging if you're, uh, you know, from Dale Jr.'s seat. He was not happy in the Periscope. It was not encouraging uh, if you're a of motorsports at all. You know, Jimmy Johnson was fast, and that's what makes you stretch your head a little bit because in the garage, they share their garage mates. Um, so maybe you can get a little bit of Jimmy's setup and put that in the A 8 and be competitive uh, for Sunday night at Charlotte, but we'll wait and see seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero to join the conversation here on Talking Circles. Paul, Paul John Hollow from SpeederMedia with you tonight. Um, other news, John, was the schedule. An interesting news that Motorsport dot had it first. Uh, there'll be some changes to the NASCAR Cup Series schedule in twenty eighteen. Uh, according to the report, Indianapolis Motor Speedway will move to the final regular season race of the of the regular the final race of the regular season. Richmond, which was that that date, the final race of the regular season since 2004, will move into the chase to give NASCAR two short tracks for their playoffs uh, in 2018. Chicagoland is out of the chase. Uh, Las Vegas moves up from the second date of, the, of the, the playoffs to the first date of the playoffs and replaces Chicagoland. I think Chicagoland probably can go in somewhere right around where Indianapolis was, so A little bit of changes, but basically two two short tracks now in the chase, John. Uh, Las Vegas obviously moves up a date. Indianapolis, the final regular season race of the year. What are your thoughts on on the potential schedule changes for 2018?
1: I think Indy has to – they had to do something with Indianapolis. Um, And moving it out of the heat of August into the less heat of right after Labor Day weekend – is probably, I mean, a couple of weeks after Labor Day, I mean, the week after Labor Day, is probably a little bit better for Indy. Uh, Indy's very temperature-sensitive track, sort of like Charlotte is, and it may help. The one thing that you hear everybody keep saying is keep your eyes on the Xfinity race to see how the restrictor plate does on there. All I see is that bunching them up, and they pile up going into turn one, because if you're that close, and there's only one groove to make the turn, you're in big trouble. Everybody's going to try to get that bottom groove and they're all going to wreck it up. I think Chicago going to where Indy is, I think one of the problems both of them had is Indianapolis is a three hour drive from Chicago. So they're fighting for the same fans. And you had that race within a month of each other. It's the same problem Pocono and Dover's had, where you have the close proximity and the same race, ba- I mean, the same basic fans that you're trying to get in- inside your house. It's too close together. Uh, People don't have that much vacation time and that much disposable income where they can go a couple weeks apart and go to both races. So they're competing for the same uh, spectators. I think Vegas starting off the playoffs is a good thing because Vegas is just Vegas. I mean, the race may be a typical mile and a half track. Every now and then Vegas does provide some really good uh, racing and the more the sand gets on the track, and the more it heats up, and the more it gets abrasive, the better it's going to be. But Vegas just being out there for the spectacle of Vegas to start the thing that'll be a good that'll be a good race. Um, I think Richmond being in the playoffs may help attendance there. Uh, instead of being the Saturday night before, I think it gives you more beating and banging, more opportunities, and different than sixty percent of the chase being a mile and a half. I think it's nice that they put the second short track in there. But again, the big key to this one is how Indy performs. I mean, it's going to be big to see how that works because I don't care who it is. I mean, the racing may not be that great, but you talk to any driver, they want a trophy that says I wanted Indianapolis just for the historical purposes of it, but they got to get the racing better or it's going to go by the wayside.
0: Well, listen, I agree with you. I think Indianapolis is a track to keep an interest in because I think if it's a restricted plate race, like the Xfinity race is this year, um, they're going to try and build that up. They're going to say, listen, anybody can win this race. It's the final race of the regular season. If your driver's not into the chase, anybody can win it. It's a restricted plate race. So I think that, as far as a sales standpoint, absolutely um, is a major, major thing.
1: Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. If you want to join the conversation, I'm talking to certain One thing we before have, we one please. thing before we go to our caller, Clayton. Uh, when you talk yeah. about the restrictor plate at Indianapolis, if you remember, we've only run a restrictor plate one time outside of Daytona or Talladega, and it was at New Hampshire after um, we lost Adam Petty and we had the major accidents there. We lost uh, Kenny Irwin Jr. Yeah. there as well, and Jeff Burton led all three hundred laps. So the restrictor plate on a non-super speedway doesn't make it where anybody can win. It makes it whoever's in front wins because nobody else can catch you and nobody can pass you because it's a one-groove turning track.
0: I agree. I totally agree with that. I just think if they think they can get the package to where, you know, it's sort of like what Indianapolis 500 is where you can kind of pack racing at Indianapolis I think that's what they're going to try and do. 978 again, if you want to join the conversation. Lee in Virginia joined us tonight. Lee, what do you want to talk about? I'll, I'll continue with the schedule talk. What about it, Lee? Do you not? Uh, you know, Chicago's out. I'm, I'm glad they added the second short track in. What are your thoughts? Do you like uh, the second short track? Do you like uh, Las Vegas moving up to, to start off the chase? And what are your thoughts on Indianapolis? It will never get better, this sport, until we change the way we operate, and this is more of the same. I understand they're moving races in and out of the chase, but the reason why Indianapolis is here, in that date, is because I'm sure of it. They looked at ticket sales this year for the race, for the cup race in Indianapolis, and it is, and they're junk, and they're saying we need to boost ticket sales in Indianapolis for our track owner, and they put it there hoping that will boost ticket sales. To me, as a fan, I don't give a damn. Just like when John said, oh, well, every driver wants a trophy from Indianapolis. I don't care. I'm here to see an interesting race. I don't care about what the drivers want. I don't care about what the TV networks want. And I don't really don't care at all about what these billionaire track owners want. And I don't care if they're not selling tickets. Put on a good product and fix your product. That product in Indianapolis is, is second worst after what we saw last night on the circuit. And let me tell you, it's not going to get any better no matter where you put it in the schedule. And it's not, the drivers aren't going to try any harder because it's the final race of the regular season. And the drivers aren't going to try any harder because it's a, a restrictor plate. It's all to boost ticket sales at Indianapolis. That's a joke. That's the way they've been operating since Brian France has taken over. And it's not going to change. And you're wondering why the sport's dying. You're wondering why things are – because that's the way they're operating. It has nothing to do with interest and competitiveness. And all of that it has nothing to do with any of that. It's the boost ticket sale to in Indianapolis. That's disgraceful, and that's why the sport's where it is. Um, you know, powerful words, no doubt about it. And I think there is some uh, absolute relevance to that. Um, I do think it might benefit a little bit out of the heat. I know all of this in Indianapolis is really, really hot so moving it a little bit later in the schedule to more of a fall date could absolutely help it. Um, But no doubt, I don't know if this is going to help Indianapolis at all. We'll we'll wait and see. I do think adding that little bit of an intrigue where it's a final regular season race, yes, I do think that might, you know, be a sales point for for these guys in Indianapolis. But, John, I'll go to you first, and then I'll go to Lee. Um, Is there another, you know, moves that you would like to see the schedule go to uh, where this schedule, you can sit there and say, you know, NASCAR making some moves in the schedule, but is there one that they missed in your opinion, John? Um,
1: The problem is some of the best tracks for racing because of attendance and because of TV ratings aren't getting the dates they deserve i really think atlanta has some of the best racing on the circuit i think california since it's aged has become great both of those tracks i mean you don't know who's going to win most of the time i think the biggest problem as we said all along it's the package we've had some decent races in indy back in the day and since they adjusted the package it hasn't been good and since the tire debacle it's been the attendance has dropped off. I mean, before the tire problem, you you had passing at Indy. You had good racing. I mean, you saw Stewart come from 10th to 1st to win that race, and it wasn't because he outpitted everybody. He passed people on the track. You've seen Harvick come through and pass people on the track to win the race. You saw Earnhardt pass people on the track to win race. It's not like that anymore. It's almost like if you qualify on the pole, guess what? Unless you break. You're going to win the thing because nobody can pass you if you're out front. The clean air rules is just killing the sport. Now, the one that I under, and I appreciate what Lee says that since Brian France took over, it's about making sure that the billionaire track owners are taken care of and the TV contract, which is supporting the sport right now, is taken care of. But the wonder I always, I always look at it, if you remember back in the day when IndyCar when USAC and CART split and they created CART that was because Roger Penske did not believe that USAC was doing the best to put on a good show put out a good product so him and a couple of the other owners created the championship auto racing teams and that was the CART circuit and then Tony George created back then in the IndyCar or back in the uh, he created the IndyCar series what it is now Because he wanted to put it back on ovals instead of so many street courses. I'm wondering how long it's going to take until Roger Penske and a Rick Hendrick and a Gene Haas and Tony Stewart and a Chip Ganassi get together and say, hey, this just ain't working out. This guy won't listen to us. We're putting out a crap show. Attendance is going down. We're not getting paid as much because everything's going to the tracks, which is owned half of it by the France family. When are they going to stop and say, hey, this ain't for us. Let's just create our own thing. I'm wondering how long it's going to take until that happens.
0: That's a fair question. The problem is, John, those big tracks that have potential to make money for those guys, are all in bed with NASCAR, ISC, and, and you know, Bruton's not going to stab ISC, which is the France family, in the back either. So those big tracks that you can go to, you know, where, where, is the Cup Series going to go to Toledo? No, not after what we saw in the Arca Series this week where they let a car almost burn to the ground. Um, you know, so those tracks that, that you can make money on are all in bed with NASCAR. Even Pocono is in bed with NASCAR. You know, the Mattioli family is is very close with with, with the France family, and you know, the moment they're ready to sell, Bruton or somebody else might come in and swipe it, but that's the problem, and they know that the leverage is these racetracks. And he, as long as they own these racetracks, nobody's going anywhere because where's the cup, where's the, that new series going to go? Uh, certainly not, you know, Texas Worlds people, are not any of these places, so that's the issue right now, and. As long as these guys own the tracks, it's getting back worse and worse. John, there's going to be a time here shortly, once this TV contract's up, that's when you're going to see major, 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 major changes. You know, I was talking with somebody today who said, and he, I was asked yesterday, do you care if this all-star race was not on a schedule? Would it bother you? I said, absolutely not. I'd enjoy an off weekend. I think a lot of people would. I think a lot of people would enjoy much of a less schedule. But I said to the guy, Nothing is going to change as long as that race continues to make money. And as long as we have this TV deal in place, that race will continue to make money. Once this TV deal is up, John and Clayton, you're going to see major changes in this schedule. My fear is the short tracks because they haven't been drawing. But what do you expect when you have Richmond, Martinsville, and Bristol in four weeks, three out of four weeks, all in the same area of the country? They're not going to draw. You're not going to get that kind of money out of these people in this economy three weeks out of four just not going to happen. That needs to change as well. But as soon as this TV deal is up, you're going to see major changes, and you're going to see the, t- the tracks that draw well attendance-wise stay on the schedule, and the ones that don't make money and don't draw well may fall off. And you know what? Kansas is here to stay because of the casino, but there's going to be a lot of tracks that may fall off the schedule once the TV deal changes. But until then, we're stuck with what we have. Yeah, and as well, you said, a, Lee, with
1: the T V with the T V deal being in place the way it is, before that T V deal runs out, we're gonna see an upheaval in ownership. Because Roger Penske's eighty years old. Jack Roush is almost eighty years old. Richard Petty's eighty years old. Rick Hendrick's in his seventies. How long Richard Childers is in his seventies? How long are these guys going to keep it up? And there may be a succession plan of who's going to inherit the team and everything. But the way things stand right now, an inheritance tax is 50%. How many of these people can actually pay that inheritance tax and keep things going? Because these race teams aren't corporations like SMI, like when Bruton Smith passes away or when ISC, when uh, Bill France Jr. passed away, where it can slowly evolve through the family because they're board members and they just take over. These, to- these teams are individually owned. There's no corporation that owns a race team. And what happens whenever those guys start fading away and there isn't anybody to buy into it, there isn't somebody who is a racer into it, you've seen what happened with every investment banker or any of those other people who've hopped into the sport and said, I want to do this, I think it's going to be cool. They're out the door so fast their head spins. The only reason Jack Roush yeah, and them keep going is they have investment bankers but there's a racer in front.
0: Yeah, but I'm not too worried about that because as long as you have the charters, John, these guys are gonna make money. You know, you're gonna see you're gonna see the charters in place. Somebody's gonna buy the charter and, and you know, Jody and Tad Yashikters of the world who are here who can buy a third and fourth charter from so and so. You have, you know, uh the, the Barney Vissers of the world who can buy a third and fourth charter from somebody. So um, as long as those charters are in place, I don't think they're too concerned because now there is something to buy. Now there is something concrete. And now there is some way to make money where you know you're going to get a guaranteed amount of money each year as long as that charter is in place and it will be in place. So you can set a budget. It doesn't matter how you run. You What's-his-name works the system beautifully. Jay Robinson from Premium Motorsports, he works the system beautifully. He knows if I stay within this budget, I can make this amount of money every single week because this is where this charter ended up last year, and you're just going to see teams, a team owner come in here and say, I'll pay you what it's worth, and we'll just run a team. It doesn't matter how good or how bad it is, and we'll try and make as much money as possible. So as long as these charters are in place, that's not that big of an issue in my opinion you're going to see competitive teams and the best teams will rise to the top, and that's the way it's going to be. One day it's going to be Barney Visser and and Jody and Tadja Schichter. The next day it's going to be so-and-so. You know, it's just going to continue on. Now that those charters are in place, it's going to change things dramatically on the ownership side. Well, here's my thing, and and as far as the schedule is concerned, and not to get too far off the topic, but um, I think I want to know what, what you guys really think about and outside track. Now, again, I said earlier, and I stand by this, I think NASCAR's priced out every other racetrack, and I know there's a lot of racetracks out there who need, you know, we saw an ARCA race today in Toledo, Ohio, where I said, if we ran Cup there, there'd be a lot of people afraid. They don't have safety barriers. They had uh, old-fashioned uh, styrofoam blocks for walls. Pit road was very, very narrow. And it worked for the Arca series, um, and that's fine. I think it makes part of what makes that race a little bit interesting. But that can never hold a Cup race. I don't think anybody will ever argue that. The front, end, the front uh, grandstands of that track are not big, but it was packed. But they were they twenty thousand at most, if that. Even that. Um, but you know, my point to, to NASCAR's priced got a lot of racetracks. And that is where I think this schedule becomes a little bit dull, is where we, that's my fear, is we've become dull. We're seeing the same racetracks over and over and over again. Um, So the racetracks, I don't think they're going to change much. So that brings us back to the other topic of, you know, we need to open up this rule book. We need to make the racing better because we can talk about how great it would be to go to South Boston again, how great it would be to go to a place like Myrtle Beach again, how great it would be to go to, Nazareth, Pennsylvania, or even when people bring up North Wilkesboro. Well, North Wilkesboro is dead, folks. I hate to say that. It kills me to say it. I wish it was alive. North Wilkesboro is dead. We're never going to go back to North Wilkesboro again. We're never going to go back to Nazareth again. So why talk about it if it's never going to happen? Let's take what we have, the information we have, the knowledge we have, and say, you know what? Let's Let's make it work this way. And I think the only way to do that, Lee, is to open up the rule book. You know, as much as I'd like to see another track come in, it's going to be 10 years before you even see another track, aside from maybe Iowa or road course in the CUP schedule. Yeah. If you bring in Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee, for example, a track, Nashville, USA, if you bring in that racetrack to the truck series, that could work. But to get Saver Barriers, to get the income, to help make it a facility that could host a CUP event – it's going to be 10, 15 years on a truck series schedule for that to even be considered. I'm not sure about that. I think once the TV deals up, you might see some tracks enter the fold here. And it's because, you know, if you, let's just say one of the races in Michigan doesn't make money, but the other one does. And they feel like they can make money with one of them. NASCAR may, or NASCAR may say, Hey, you know what? Let's just scrap one of the dates in in Michigan. And a track will come up, and instead of holding that race at Michigan, which there's no ticket income and there's no TV income anymore coming in from it, a track might say in Toledo, Ohio, or somewhere. Let's just let's just say, you know, uh, Iowa, for example, might come in and say, "Hey, you know what? We're selling a lot of seats. We're making money. We can pay this this amount for a sanctioning fee." They may give up that date at that point because they know the money is not going to be made in Michigan. So I could see that happening once the TV deals up. Opening up the rule book, I agree with it, but I think we can't go too far because if we go too far and everybody, which is the term I cannot stand, run what you brung. If you do something like that, it's just going to be Hendrick and Penske and all them competing against each other. The small teams right now, they don't have a shot, but they're really not going to have a shot because they're just going to over-engineer everything out. To me, if you give them some, some, you know, specification, say, hey, you can run your spoiler all the way down, or all the way up, that's not going to make a huge difference financially for these teams. But, you know, if you let them over-engineer, there's going to be a large gap between the big teams and the small teams, even bigger than there is right now. But I think there are a lot of things you can do, and and you have to do some sort of inspection where, okay, you have to start and stop with the same weight and the same amount of parts and pieces. This way nobody's adding anything foreign to the race car. I think that's what you need to do, but I definitely think the rules need to open up a little bit. You know, I, I, there was a host today on Sirius Radio saying that not to get rid of the splitter, to add more to it, because the downforce would create more passing. I can't disagree with that more. I think we need to see a front valence there. I think we need to cut off the side skirts and and everything, on the, and, and the overlaps of the, of the back portions of the race car and make them loose again. So when you get, into the corner, you have to at least check up and break and put it back into the driver's hands a little bit because what we saw at Charlotte last night, if that continues, it will never, never last the sport because all these tracks are intermediates, and if this is the way the package is going to be at the intermediates, this sport's going to die a slow, painful death.
1: And we're about four years into that slow, painful death as it is. Yep, yep. I
0: mean,
1: the first first thing, I mean, like we said earlier, when they put the tapered spacer in the cup cars, it took away horsepower and that changed the dynamic. Because the first year, the Gen 6 car was some of the best racing we've had in a long time. And when they put the tapered spacer in to lower the horsepower, to slow the cars down, to try to make it more competitive, it wound up making a stinker show. One of the things I wish they would eliminate more than anything, the rev limiter chip. Blow the damn thing up. Let them run it as hard as they can. If they blow the engine up, guess what? It blows up. I'm tired of these bullets that can't be destroyed because they have every piece of technology. They have a rev limiter because if you got it going too fast, it's going to slow the engine down to protect it. Run the thing as hard as you can. Blow the damn thing up. If it happens, it happens. But that takes it out of it. We used to see engine failures. We see, what, one every four or five races, and it's usually somebody who's not a Hendrick power or a TRD power or a Roush Fenway power or a Roush Yates power. It's usually one of the smaller teams with a smaller engine company. These good engines that they're making are bullets that they can't mess up. Adjust the gear rule. Let them put whatever gear they want in there. And I mean if worse comes to worse the way it is now I almost want to see him put the IndyCar car push to pass in because then you could actually <laughs> see somebody pass. Listen,
0: I yeah, I would be totally against that 5 years ago but if it gets to the point where it was last night what the hell? I mean it you know um that was that was terrible last night but I agree I think the gear rule would be great if they did that and you know we got to keep in mind too. You know, I think we put a lot of blame on NASCAR and they're ultimately the ones that uh are at fault because they make the decisions. But you know, the owners love the fact that they don't blow engines anymore because they save money that way. Um so and it would be more entertaining for us as a race. The owners love the gear rule too because the owners right. love the gear rule too because no smaller engine no smaller engine company can come in here and outbeat and beat them. And you know what? They know as long as they have the they yeah. have the control of their engines. Hendrick is selling engines to six teams. Childress is selling engines to eight teams. Roush does all the Fords. They know as long as that's in place, they're never going to lose that monopoly. You're right. And I think that's where, um, you know, we we could absolutely, again, where we talk about aerodynamic changes a lot, I think the engine is also a change, you know, as far as that's concerned. Um, I think we can make some changes that way as well where it could help the sport. Um, I definitely do. I think there was times where, you know, we might have saw stinkers back, you know, in the nineties and eighties, but the leader t- blew up. And then we're sitting there going, Okay, the best car of the day is no longer around. Now it comes to everybody else, where it might have been it might have been a, a three hundred lap dominance in today's world because we don't have engine failures. But it made it more interesting because they had a lot of horsepower in their engine, but they didn't think about Longevity in that engine as much they kind of uh you know relinquished longevity for the horsepower in that engine, so that made that race to me interesting um, not only that not only to- that not only that there was if you what you didn't have in aerodynamics and in downforce, you could make up for an engine power if you were a team back in the day, and vice versa. And right now, everybody has the same horsepower. You know, there's no difference between a Chevy engine and a Ford. There's no, oh, my gosh, the Fords are really beating them, beating the Chevrolets and the Toyotas on horsepower. There, there's none of that. And there, there was that years ago. And you could still win races even if you didn't have horsepower. But the rules are so tight, it, engine-wise and aero-wise, they're all running the same package. Jimmy Johnson said said it last night. You know, so putting that up where they're gonna rule, okay, well, you know what, the Fords could be a little bit faster. They wouldn't all be the same thing. They wouldn't be all running the same thing, and there would be some more passing. I agree. I think, guys, we could discuss this all night about changes we could make to the race cars. I think we've at nauseam talked about it, especially when it comes to mile and half tracks. Um, you know, I I've been a big proponent of different um, templates for di- different templates for different racetracks. Uh, I think that's another way they could go. But um, moving on, guys, I think. When you think about the Eric Amarola injury, 8 to 12 weeks, uh, crazy, John, to think that he's going to be out that long, 8 to 12 weeks. Regan Smith was in a car this weekend at Charlotte um, pulled the Open, finished fourth, I believe in the Open was a final tally. final uh, is he in this car for the long run, you think, John? i got Lee's opinion a little bit, but is he in the car for the long run? And if not, who who else is an option in that 43 car?
1: If I'm Richard Petty Motorsports, there's one of three ways I would go. Regan Smith's going to bring that car home. He's going, to keep, he's going to keep the fenders on it. He's going to drive it well. But he's only going to be 10th to 15th place. One of the things I might look at for my favorite option, go to Rick Hendrick. What's Alex Bowman doing? Can we borrow him until Eric Almirola is okay? It'll give him seat time. So whenever Dale Jr. does go, and Dale Jr. said on Periscope today, he wants Alex Bowman to take his spot in the 88. Gives him some seat time instead of sitting there all year just doing simulation for Hendrick Motorsports. I'd think that way. I don't know who else you would end up getting unless you can somehow
0: But What what, what, what is Richard Petty, Mo- honestly, though, John, what does Richard Petty Motorsports get out of that? And is, is Regan Smith, I mean, is Alex Bowman that much of an upgrade over Regan Smith? Regan Smith's got two cup wins.
1: But the thing with Regan Smith, I mean, part of it depends on what Smithfield wants to do. Um, I think Smithfield would probably be better off with Regan Smith in the car because their car is going to be respectable all the time. I think if they get Alex Bowman in there, the one thing it might do for Richard Petty Motorsports is give them a shot at some top tens if they get their stuff going better than they have. I mean, they've been running respectable this year. Eric Almirola was two points out of the top sixteen when he wrecked. Right, But I think Regan Smith is a solid contender for the rest of the year.
0: Absolutely. And, And, John, you brought up a great point about not tearing up equipment. I think Regan Smith does a good job getting the most out of what he can without tearing up the chassis. Um, But, you know, it's just curious why they only announced him for one week. No doubt about it. I don't think Bowman's an option. I think Rick Hendrick needs him as an option for the 88. And, yeah, you can lease him out here for the 43. But, you know, if he goes out and stinks for seven races, then it might not be something that has anything to do with Alex Bowman. If the 43 says, yeah, we got Alex Bowman, but now we're going to go out there and – test, or, or it did, he doesn't get along with the crew chief, or something like that happens. Um, you know, then it's hard as heck to sell him the Nationwide. So you kind of want to keep him in your zone. You also don't want him to go send any information out to uh, that has uh, been the Hendrick Motorsports the last couple of years, and give to Richard Petty Motorsports, and have one little tiny thing that he gave them, sort of give them an, ex, an extra boost for the racetrack. We talked about the cars being so close that any little tiny thing can uh, make the difference between being a you know a contender and a, and a winner and running 20th. So I, I think those things are to look at for sure. But I don't think Biffle was a, a horrible option. But I just think it's probably going to be Regan Smith. I'm surprised that Greg Biffle didn't take it. If Greg Biffle was called, you know I don't know if Biffle maybe well, the asking price for him was a little too high. Um, but I'm surprised it wasn't Greg Biffle because Greg Biffle. The guy won races in this series, a lot of races in this series, much more than Regan Smith, much more than Alex Bowman. His resume is m- much bigger than those guys. I was surprised it wasn't Biffle. Um, but I think we all looked at Regan Smith. I wonder. Ford the, I wonder in the if truck the Regan series. Smith... Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Go I ahead. wonder if the Regan Smith deal was also part to please NASCAR's rule in the all-star race where, you know, in years past, the rule has been you have to run at least one race in the regular season. Regan Smith obviously hasn't done that, but he has been a driver that has run a cup quite a bit and he's experienced. I don't think NASCAR would have been too keen on Bubba Wallace making his cup series debut in the all-star race. Um, and so, and and it was set a bad precedent where you could just bring, anybody could just show up to the racetrack and run the all-star race. So to me, I think that's part of it with Regan Smith. You got to wonder if that was part of it. You know, Daryl Wallace, if you hire Alex Bowman, you're going to get Darrell Wallace Jr.'s nose out of joint more than it already was. There's no question that's what that tweet was about. And it, his nose was out of joint that he wasn't in that car, which he thinks he's earned it. I'm not sure he's earned it yet, but that's this generation. And you're going to get his nose out of joint even more. So the Bowman thing, as, as much as a lot of people would like to see it, if you're Rick Hendrick, you don't let him go. And if you're at Richard Petty Motorsports, I think Bubba Wallace Jr. is a better option just so you don't get his nose at a joint, and he's in the Ford camp.
1: The thing is, with Bubba Wallace Jr., he's only got, what, six, eight races sponsored by Roush Fenway in the Xfinity Series. He's never really been able to sell sponsorship, and he's had his delusions of grandeur here and there, but he's also had some races where he's plowed the wall within the first five laps. Um, I think Bubba is a sleeper to get in that car. I think with Biffle, I think part of that is he rode in the back in the 20th or worse for Roush Fenway last year. I don't think he views Richard Petty Motorsports as an upgrade. I mean, he said if he was going to run, he wanted to run in competitive equipment. I don't think he views Richard Petty Motorsports as competitive equipment, which is why if Biffle was called, he probably said no.
0: Absolutely. I think uh, that's a pretty... Valid point. Again, I, you know, to me, if you want to stay in this sport, though, I mean, there's not too many better than that. That's the top ride at Richard Petty Motorsports. But, um, well, I guess we'll never know. Uh, Lee, I want to thank you for joining the show tonight. You are a great addition every week, Lee. Uh, and we'll see you next week here. Um, i talking in circles. Please call in next week. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon.
1: Always Thanks. good to have you, Lee. Um,
0: John. This last couple minutes of the show, I want to kind of change gears here a little bit. And I know you are much more, um, you know, you're much more intelligent, I guess you can say. You're much more into the IndyCar scene than I am. Uh, but, they, but I want to talk about the Indianapolis 500 because I think it's an important race. Uh, it's a race that's a lot of fun. That's something I watch every year. But other than that, I really don't venture off into the IndyCar scene. Um, first things first. Sebastian Bourdais, pray for him. I mean, oh, my gosh, what a horrible, horrible wreck. Um, you know, and kudos to the safety features they have in IndyCar at Indianapolis Motor Speedway because, man, that looked a lot worse. I mean, I know the guy's out for the year and he's having surgeries and he's in a bad place right now, but um, it it looks a lot worse than, than that. I mean, when I first saw him, I went, oh, my gosh, I hope he's going to be still with us. And he is, thank goodness, but, oh, my gosh, what a horrible wreck. John. So what were your thoughts on that Sebastian Bourdais wreck there before we move on to uh, the Scott Dixon being on a pole for 500?
1: Well, one of the things with the Sebastian Bourdais wreck that uh, you could take solace in is Scott Dixon, after he won the pole today at Indy, said he spent, he went and saw Sebastian this morning after surgery, said he's doing pretty well. And he's good spirits. He's going to be good. And uh, Scott Dixon even said he thought If anybody would have won the poll, it would have been Sebastian Bourdais because his first two laps yesterday were a mile an hour faster than Dixon's until he lost it coming out of turn two on lap three. So Bourdais, that was a heck of a wreck. Um, Again, the way IndyCar has their cars built, um, the losing of Dan Weldon sort of helped out because of the chassis changes that he was big in designing. But they added even more safety features after they lost Dan Weldon. Uh, it's great to see Sebastian Bourdais is going to be okay. It's sad he's not going to be in the 500. The thing that surprised me about Indy is how slow the Chevys were. There's only one Penske car in the top nine. I mean, Elio Nevis is starting 15th. Joseph Newgarden is starting way back. I mean, it's a Honda show up front. We'll see how well it lasts for the 500 miles, but in the four laps, they were fast, and... I mean, you look, Dixon's the fastest run they've had since Ari Leyendijk took the pole at 236 in 1996. I mean, that's the fastest run in 21 years.
0: That's incredible that they're going that fast in Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, You know, are there any dark horses, John, this week? You know, Alexander Rossi last year was kind of a dark horse. Not a lot of people saw coming and wasn't on a lot of people's list to win the Indianapolis 500. Who could be this year's Alexander Rossi in your opinion?
1: Well, uh, actually, the Dark Horse is probably the most well-known driver on the track. I think it's going to be um, Fernando Alonso. He's starting fifth. He's never been on an oval before, and he made the top nine. And wound up qualifying fifth. He's in a good starting spot. Um, I think uh, uh, Ed Carpenter, he's great on ovals. He's got small funding with Fuzzy's Vodka. But somehow he always finds a way to be near the front whenever it comes to qualifying. I'd just love to see him put 500 miles together. And J.R. Hildebrand, somebody else I'd like to see win.
0: Me too. I think, um, you know, I would love to see Ed Carpenter and a driver-owned team go out there and really perform Indianapolis 500. It's going to be a lot of fun this weekend. It's always a lot of fun between the 24 hours of Monaco, the the Indianapolis 500, and the Coca-Cola 600, uh, man, I hope that 600 is better than the All-Star race for sure. Um, you know, I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking Circles. We have a little bit of change next week in the way we operate things. If you love this show and, and love what we do, um, we have a little bit of change in what, how we operate. We'll announce that on our Facebook page later in the week. Uh, so st- stick around and look for that. I want to thank John Harlow, Lee and Virginia for the call. We'll see you next week on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody.